Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Boy, these NCAA tournament games just keep getting better and better each time. Folks, welcome back to the Screen the Screener Podcast. We talk all things NCAA basketball with you. We are officially set for the Elite Eight. The Sweet 16 games have happened. They've been exciting. Gus, I'm out of breath. I don't know about you. What an amazing Sweet 16 round. So far, so good, Sweet 16. Thank you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you for your personal choice and consumption of the Screen the Screener podcast. We are manufacturing this Sweet 16 into the Elite Eight edition of the College Basketball Listening Experience on the evening slash morning of March 25th. Those games on Thursday were just amazing and worth staying up late for. Uh, we hate, aim to improve your commute to and fro. Thanks for plugging us into your car and your earbuds. Uh, maybe you have us uh, online uh, when you're waiting to get your car washed this weekend to get rid of all that salt from the last blast of winter. Or maybe you have us on in the lab or in study hall. Hey, wherever you're tuning us in, we're always thankful, we're always humbled, and we're honestly honored to chat NCA hoops with you, Mike, and our ever-increasing audience out there. We just want to say, hey, ahoy out there, at Rossicom. We do have differing thoughts on Jonathan Isaac. And ahoy out there, by David Gardner. Uh, Gardner. Love the stuff. Keep it coming. Salancha. Gratulatia. Happy to have everybody tune in. Mike, let's get this thing rolling. Let's get rolling, man. What an incredible Sweet 16 this tournament has picked up. Big-time matchups, sleepers all over the place. Where do you want to start? Let's just go, man. Pick pick okay. a game. Let's go Michigan, Oregon. Michigan falls to Oregon as that Derek Walton Jr. shot careens off course in the final seconds. The Ducks take it 69-68. Our guy Jordan Bell, huge double-double. Tyler Dorsey, another Mr. March performance, another 20 points for that guy. The seven-man rotation seems to be working pretty well for Coach Altman. They did go a little zone in the second half, it looked like, and this ends Michigan's impressive run. Big Ten tourney champs, a Sweet 16, a shot in the air from your best player to get to the Elite Eight. That sounds like a good season to me. This was a great game. It was a great start to the Sweet 16. One-point game, two teams that really have a great storyline. You have Michigan with the seniors, the plane sliding off there, sliding off the the, the approach coming into the, the Big Ten tournament, they've rallied. The senior guards have stepped up. Derek Walton Jr. really was having one of those special senior NCAA tournaments that he could have carried them to a Final Four. Oregon, which I'm convinced, Gus, would have absolutely made the Final Four if Chris Boucher was healthy. I don't care where they were seated or what they were doing. They have battled through adversity. All of a sudden, we got Big B Williams with, with eight minutes. We got Benson playing 24 big minutes. This is a team that can't get in foul trouble, that still goes up and down the floor. Dylan Brooks has still not given us that big performance game. It's kind of we were waiting for that from Kevon Allen. We got that tonight. I'm waiting for that game from Dylan Brooks, and we haven't had it. And Tyler Dorsey has been gritty and gutty the whole time. But you nailed it. Jordan Bell in this game. We needed it. 16 points, 13 rebounds, four offensive rebounds, including a big one at the end off a foul shot. Great, great win for Oregon, all I can say. Love to see Oregon and love to see Coach Altman have a chance to get to the Final Four. They will have an enormous mountain to climb. And that brings us into our next game in the Player of the Year showdown. Kansas just places a good old-fashioned beatdown on Purdue in the second half. And they advance to meet Oregon in the Elite Eight with a 98-66 win. Your guy, Frank Mason III, put up 26 points, 7 boards, 7 assists, 4 made threes with only 2 turnovers. That right there is Player of the Year type stuff. 
He had help from the usual suspects. Devontae Graham went for 26. Josh Jackson had his now do- normal double-double, 15 and 12. And Swanigan actually had like kind of an average game. He had like 18, 7, 4, 3 made threes. He just didn't receive any help from his fellow Boilermakers. Kansas and the Ducks. That is a pretty sweet game for a Final Four berth, right, Mike? It is. And and listen, Kansas has played exceptionally well. I am shocked that all the stuff that has gone on with Kansas this year, Gus, has not caught up to them. LeGerald Vick had the issues. Jackson was suspended the first game of the Big 12 tournament, and they lose yep. that game. Typically, the karma thing comes around. They've blitzed through this tournament. They blitzed the first round, they destroyed Michigan State, and they pounded Purdue here. Purdue had the schematic on how to win this game. I'm disappointed in Painter. You can't have Swanigan leaving Svi Mihailik multiple times to double Landon Lucas on the post when he's guarded by Isaac Haas. And it happened every single time. And Swanigan is very coachable, Gus, which means he's being told to do that. That's a terrible game plan. If, you, if Isaac Haas can't stop Landon Lucas one-on-one, you're then losing. You, sh- you, you're can't go- go to, you can't go to the Elite Eight. Right, you're losing. Yeah. You're, you that, that is ridiculous. Like So I saw some things. They were up in the first half, and Swanigan did a great job, of course. Uh, the key was Vince Edwards. We talked about this. Eight points for Vince Edwards. You could have turned it off right there. But I was Correct. impressed with Josh Jackson. He's been playing undersized all year long as, as, a, as, a, as a forward, a power forward, and he's responded every single time. 15 points, 12 rebounds. Mason was great. The streaky Graham was hot. Tremendous win for Kansas. They don't get in foul trouble. They don't foul people. And the guards have taken over. Great, great win for Kansas. Nothing else to say. Yeah, really impressed with Coach Self. Kind of a little disappointed and let down with the Boilermakers in the second half for sure. But let's get to another great game from Thursday night. Gonzaga wins a true rock fight with West Virginia. 61-58. What a win for Gonzaga. They held West Virginia to shooting 27% overall from the field. That's not just from three. That's overall. That's nuts. Mike, you were correct on your prediction of the Mountaineers not carrying on that open round, opening round shooting. That was totally right on. Great call by you. Gonzaga only turned it over 16 times, and they forced 12 turnovers. So that usual enormous turnover ratio that West Virginia holds did not exist in this particular game. Big Shem and Jonathan Williams played huge inside. Each had 13 points apiece. And Jordan Matthews hit that gigantic three with under a minute to play off that broken play. But didn't it seem like every play was broken in this game? I mean, both of these teams are ranked in the top five concer- uh, concerning Ken Palm's defe- defensive uh, effective uh, efficiency metric. So you knew that this was going to be some sort of like knockdown drag out type of fight, and it totally was that way. The Zags overcame the good karma, good feel-good karma of Northwestern, the high scoring of Mike Dom, and now the vaunted Press Virginia. They earned this elite invite, Gonzaga did. Yeah, we're going to have two different opinions on this game, Gus. I, I don't think this was a great game at all. I wouldn't call it a rock fight. I would call it a really sloppy, bad game, to be honest with you. I, we're talking about a game where they had 27 first-half fouls. That, to me, is not exciting basketball. That is questionable basketball. It's not fun to watch. I don't think the shooting from what I saw was this tremendous lockdown defense from Gonzaga. Mm -hmm. I think West Virginia had a terrible game shooting. They shot 26.7% from the field. And listen, I think Gonzaga is a good defensive team. I do. 
I don't think this was some tremendous lockdown defense. There were shots that were there. Uh, Phillip did not play well. They shot 26.7% from the field, 21% from three-point range, and they're winning the game, Gus, with 50 seconds left. So I don't know what Gonzaga would want in order to win a game to get to the Elite Eight, but the fact that they needed a Jordan Matthews, Ali Farouk Manesh pull-up three-pointer on the break to take the lead with 50 seconds left, to me, means they got lucky. However, I don't care that they got lucky because they've had enough bad luck and run into enough tough teams over the course of their career in this tournament with Mark Few that they deserve this. They've gotten a very easy trip. They were losing. They were down two points to Mike Dom in the second half of the first game. They almost blew the Northwestern game, and they played a horrifically poor shooting West Virginia team. But that's fine. They've run into the difficult Duke team. They've run into Stephen Curry. They ran into Wichita State. So you know what? Maybe their trip's a lot easier than other teams, and I'm fine with that. And listen, Mark Few, you got to beat Xavier. You got to beat Xavier because if you're going to make a Final Four as a one seed, you have to beat Xavier in this game. But you know what? I think the game's going to come together. I think they're going to play well, and I expect them to go to the Final Four. And you know what? I have no problem with it because they deserve it because they've been here every year and they've run into some tough luck, so I think they got some good luck here. I agree. I think, I think the Z- Zags karma has finally kind of come up on their side. I mean, un- I mean, we'll get to the Xavier game next, but I agree. I think that's a game that you feel like you have to come out on top of. If you could write a script of how you're going to get to a Final Four if you're a Gonzaga fan – how about you play the 11 seed to get to the final four? That sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, that, Gus, that's I, what I think I'm you sa- would sign up for that. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not trying to put pressure on Gonzaga. I'm not. But no. guys, you're a one seed. You're supposed to beat West Virginia. I'm not going to throw you bouquets because you beat. You were supposed to beat them. You're a one seed. Guys, you got to beat an 11 seed Xavier who has one player right now in order to make the final four. So I'm rooting for him. I want to see him there. I can't believe the teams that are on that side of the, of the bracket, Gus, that could be in the, in the championship game. It's a little crazy, It's right? a little crazy, but I want it to be Gonzaga because it's a great story and they deserve it. I agree. I, I'm totally pulling for the Zogs, as the listeners know. I am uh, full, I'm fully aboard the Gonzaga bandwagon. In fact, I, I might be even you know, helping to repair a wheel or saddling a horse on that bandwagon. I'm, I'm all aboard. Let's go Zags. And speaking of who they're going to play, can you even believe this Arizona game? Can you believe that Xavier pulled this upset? Unbelievable. And then Xavier happened. The Musketeers upset the number two seeded uh, Arizona Wildcats, and they advanced to play the Zags. Chris Mack, are you kidding us? You lose your future NBA-ish type point guard. Your senior leader leaves in the middle of the season due to personal reasons, and then you plug in a freshman and play him 35-plus minutes at the point, and you expect to see success? And then here you are in the Elite Eight by beating the headlining coach that used to coach your program. This is crazy. Here's hoping that smart folks out there like uh, Matt, Lo- Matt, Matt Norlander or Eric Fawcett are writing something cool about this team, this coach, and this run. Uh, I look forward to getting my eyes on whatever they're going to put together to, to highlight and document this. And, yeah, Trayvon Blewett is playing absolutely out of his head. He looked like the best player on the floor last night. He had 25 more points, giving 75 total points in the tourney this far. Between him and Sandarius Thornwell, those, both of those guys are playing at an absolute top-shelf level. And we said if this game was in the 60s or the 70s, it might be close enough for Blewett to win it. And hmm, look what happened. Xavier shot 53% from the field against a usually pretty tight Arizona defense. And man, what a call on that final possession by Mack, huh? 
He looks pretty smart now. I'm really impressed. I'm so happy that Xavier got this game. And, I mean, I don't think anybody filled this game out on their bracket due to the injuries and, you know, Xavier's play coming in because everybody kind of made fun of them because all they beat was DePaul coming in. So who, who could have forecast this? Certainly not me. Terrible job by Sean Miller. Terrible job by Arizona. Let's call it what it is. I've had enough of it. I don't want to hear any more about Arizona. It was a soft game. Folks, You Arizona, you have the final four in Phoenix. You have to beat Xavier to make an Elite Eight game against the Gonzaga team. It's been very shaky in the tournament so far. Sean, terrible job. Awful job by Arizona. They were outscored 12-2. to Gus, the score with three minutes and 45 seconds left when Jackson, when Parker Jackson Cartwright made two free throws was 69-61 Arizona. They're up eight. You got to get it home. You got to yeah. get it home. And you got to find a way to finish that game. And Sean, you. I don't know what you're doing in the practice, big guy, but you cannot tell me that, that Trayvon Blewett has 18 points in the first half. You can't tell me that. You can't tell me he has 18 to the 35. It just can't happen. He is not a breakdown guy one-on-one. He's coming off of screens, loose balls. You're losing track of him. You're not boxing him out. He's getting offensive rebounds. I mean, what were you preparing for? Was Kadeem Allen's two fouls in the first half threw off your whole defensive scheme? You can't have that. He's the only guy on that team. Then he got rolling. Makura got rolling. I don't know what he's doing. It's a terrible loss for Arizona. There's no way to, to shake a stick at it. Great job by Xavier. Chris Gus is going to get a big-time coaching job here. I'm hearing rumors. That's why Pat Kelsey backed out of the UMass job because he worked mm-hmm. with Chris Mack, and he's trying to maybe get the Xavier job, which is a whole other story, by the way. We can wow. talk about that next podcast. Yeah. Uh-huh. But great job by Chris Mack. Feel-good story. Xavier's coming around. Why not? Could they get one more? I, 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 why not at this point? But that's exactly. an awful loss for Arizona. Death taxes in Arizona not making the Final Four. I am sorry, guys, but that's the way it is. You had the better team on the floor, and you did not perform here. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Mike Randall, on this particular case. And yeah, and Chris Mack, he just made himself a ton of money, whether it's going to be at a big-time extension at Xavier or at a bigger-time program that's going to pay him over $3 million a year. So kudos to Chris Mack. And Chris Mack, enjoy this whole entire ride. It's going to be totally awesome. Uh, let's get to Friday's games. We try to squeeze in and get as many Friday games as we could before putting up this podcast, so we'll try to zip through them as best we can. Uh, the first one we took a peek at was UNC overpowering Butler 92-80 to in one of the earlier games, and Joel Berry looked healthy as all get-out. He had 26 points. Justin Jackson complimented him nicely with 24. And if these two play this way, this team's really hard to beat, nearly impossible to beat. The wild card in this game was Luke May. He came off the bench with a nice double-double, 12 points, six, uh, I'm sorry, 16 points and 12 boards. The guy played great. Butler fought back when they were down 20 in the second half, just like you thought they might play in the Butler way. But UNC was just a little too much in too many areas for Butler for them to come back and actually make a true game out of this. But I really admired the comeback by Butler. They did not lay down. They did not say this game is over they played hard and got the game within 10 with about two and a half to play which was admirable and you kind of expected butler to make that gutty tough run the way that that's the way that they play definitely this game went exactly as we thought it would kudos to butler they had two pretty interesting games the first two games i would not say they're the most difficult but butler did a solid job they didn't end the season well they had some awful losses during the year like georgetown at home but they came out, they competed, they were buried by 16 at the half gust. They did come back, they made a game of it. Jarbis had 21, Baldwin 14, Martin came off the bench with a 16. 
they hung around. North Carolina, put it this way, guys, they didn't even have a great game from the inside, guys. Hicks fouled out. Meeks didn't play well. May came off the bench and did some nice things. Bradley didn't do much. So it was the Jackson and Berry show. They need a little bit more balance if they're going to go further. But early in the tournament, it was Meeks and Hicks and those guys carrying them. Tonight, it was Jackson and Berry. They're really good. They're really good, and I can't wait to see that, t- that game against Kentucky. What a wonderful game that's going to be. Man, I mean, we love the mat- the rematch for UCLA and Kentucky, and then we get another rematch of UNC and Kentucky. I mean, the storyline for this tournament is just getting better and better. What else could you ask for? Speaking of storyline, how about the storyline for the SEC South Carolina Gamecocks? They just dismantled Baylor 70-50, to and the best player in the tournament – you know, not named Trayvon Blue. It just might be Sundarius Thornwell. The dude had another 20-point game, and he outplayed Jonathan Motley. And boy, Coach Martin had his team playing well on both ends. And in uh, he's in line for the – he's in line. Listen to this. Just, just, just take this in, listeners. He is in line for a game in the world's most famous arena for a trip to the Final Four. Just let that sink in for a second. South Carolina is going to play – to get into the Final Four in MSG later on this weekend. That is unbelievably cool. Kudos to Coach Martin and the Gamecocks and that program and that fan base. So excited for you guys. I thought Baylor would show up a little bit more and compete a little bit more on the offensive end. But, man, we were really wrong on that one for sure, right, Mike? Yeah, this was great. Uh, Basically, this is a South Carolina team that lost three games in a row in mid to late February to Arkansas at Vanderbilt and blown out at Florida. Then they end the season losing to Old Miss, and then they lose in the first round of the SEC tournament to Alabama. There is no indication that this team was going to go on this run unless you took the fact that they play good defense, and earlier in the year, without Thornwell, they ended up playing very, very well. The storyline here, like you said, Gus, is Thornwell. He's carrying them on his back. He's doing a great job. It's the Cinderella that we want to see, the seventh seed. We love having Cinderella in there. I think this is fantastic. I have no idea when they're going to stop. They can absolutely make the final four. They can absolutely make the final game. No doubt about it. Great job for Frank Martin. Great job for Thornwell. He's putting them on the back. They're playing inspired basketball. They're playing hard. Baylor was just Baylor. They were a good team, but they just didn't have the response. Motley had 18. No one else scored. Al Freeman yeah. is done, four points. Wainwright, zero. McClure, four. Lacan, eight. They're done. It just that, that was it for them. They had a very nice season, though. They certainly exceeded expectations, but it's all Thornwell, baby. I can't, we love Cinderella. They're here. They're live. They're, why not? This is a team that could be favored, depending on how this game comes out right now. Wisconsin, Florida is in overtime right now. Right, right. This is a team that could be favored. It's a wonderful story. So happy for them. Great job, South Carolina. Absolutely. Yeah, you feel so great for those guys and, and that team and that program, especially if we just hit the rewind button and think of how they ended their seasons last year. They were on the outside looking into the tournament and answering questions like, why didn't why don't you think you guys got into the tournament? What else could you have done to get into the tournament? They have take took they took full advantage of this opportunity in this particular tournament. I'm so glad they're playing well and they're balling out like heck. It's great. I love it. It's fantastic. You called it Cinderella, whatever you want to call them, Gamecocks, Cinderella, uh, underdogs, SEC, uh, has-beens. They're awesome. I'm so excited to watch them play. Speaking of excited to watch play, I think everybody was pretty excited to watch the rematch of UCLA and Kentucky. What do you think? 
Uh, it was it was so good, Gus. It was so so good, and I was so so wrong. And I've never been happier to be wrong. Never. Yeah. Happier to oh, be how wrong. That, that feels weird, doesn't it? You're so like, good. So certain on this, and then you're like, oh wow, this feels good. Listeners, I swear, I was so wrong in the game. I put out that Kentucky had no chance. UCLA was going to win by 15. I was so wrong, and I I enjoyed every single minute of it because I love seeing something that I didn't think was going to happen. So Fox just goes off. The guy went bananas. He could not be contained in the lane. They had no answer for him on the defensive end. He constantly broke down UCLA's defense, whether they went to that 3-2 zone with ball on top of it or they packed it back into man. They just could not find an answer for him on the defensive end. He went absolutely bananas. And in the second half, yeah, that's right. There was a reindeer optic sighting. Malik Monk had one of those little flurries where he went a little bananas and had a whole bunch of points in the second half to kind of give – Kentucky that cushion that they ended up winning by now, I'll tell you another thing and, and we were kind of trading this on text with a couple of our buddies ball looked like the third best guard on the floor right didn't he he did he, didn't he, he, did. he that did. way he did I'm gonna give all the credit in the world to Monk I mean to uh, Fox rather I'm gonna give all the credit in the world to Fox De'Aaron Fox had a, had a night he was the best player on the floor I think he took advantage Gus Lonzo Ball's not gonna get in foul trouble Lonzo no. Ball is never going to play you in tough defense because Lonzo Ball is about him. He already announced, by the way, when this game was over, he's turning pro. Thank you very much. Uh, you let your team <laughs> absorb the loss. You can't wait a day. So to me, Fox was smart. He had a chip on his shoulder. They lost at home to UCLA, and he knew Ball's not going to play any defense on him. And he went right at him, and that's what threw Ball off. I, I think Ball was thrown by the fact that Fox was destroying him one-on-one. Literally, it was like N1 mixtape. He was absolutely breaking ankles and just getting into the lane at will and he has that like unique skill where he's like he has that extra split second of hang time where he absorbs the contact when he's in the lane and then can finish with that contact he's a really unique talent i'm really intrigued by him i'm I'm so excited we get to watch him and joel berry go one-on-one that's gonna be really really cool uh great comeback win for uh kentucky Cal was really cool in the post-game conference. The first comments out of his out of his mouth were, hmm, how'd South Carolina do? Man, Lonzo Ball's pretty good. So he just was he was just passing the buck a little bit and just trying to compliment other players and taking the focus off of his team and kind of continuing this Kentucky flying under the radar thing that's been happening. And look where they are. They're in the Elite Eight to play UNC for a trip to go to the Final Four. And I want to give – The under give, the radar thing is working. <laughs> I want to give Calipari credit, Gus, because I sold him short. He ran UCLA off that three-point line. He made them drive. He had a game plan. They tried to get to Bam. They should have went to Bam a little more, I think, if you ask him. But Hawkins mm. stepped up. Briscoe made a three. I put a picture, I think, out on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, the, scene, the, the veteran upperclassmen stepped up. Cal had a great game plan. Those kids played hard. They played harder than UCLA. They dug down deep. Fox is the best player on the floor. I would take Mile Bridges one and De'Aaron Fox two if I'm drafting in the NBA draft. Just my opinion. I, I think that I don't think you'd go wrong with Fox at all. He was really good, and he's been really good all season. I, I, I love watching him play. He's one of my most favorite players to watch. Uh, in the NCAA this year, maybe along with Scucci Smith. Uh, So listeners, we have a conundrum. We're just going to lift the curtain a little bit. The Florida-Wisconsin game is still in overtime as we're recording. 
So we're going to skip over that game and we're going to go directly to the Elite Eight matchups that you're going to take a peek at this weekend. And Mike and I are just going to give you our off-the-cuff thoughts on what's going to happen in each game. Mike, does that sound okay to you? Yeah, let's run it. Yeah, maybe this game will be over. Right now, Wisconsin is up two with under three minutes left. Unbelievable game here, man. MSG. They'll be done by the time we're done. I don't I have no idea. Go ahead. Overtime in the garden. What else do you want? Yeah. All right, so the first matchup, we talked about these two teams uh, earlier in the pod. We have Xavier versus Gonzaga. It looks like Gonzaga is probably going to be favored by a, a bunch. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Eight-ish, if you were going to take a guess, Mike? Yeah, I don't think it would be that much because Gonzaga hasn't blown anybody out. So I, 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 I think it's going to be close. I, my number in my head would be five. That's what I would say. Okay. Um. I, I, Gonzaga is they looked at, what bothered me too Gus is they didn't have the let's go gene when West Virginia was making their run they were very nervous yeah. the push off with Goss all of a sudden everybody's hesitant they cannot be hesitant they're the better team here they're the better team straight out they have a good defense they have interchangeable parts that you've talked about all year you got to switch the screens on Blewett and you got to hold them down if Trayvon Blewett doesn't have 25 points they have no chance of winning this game whatsoever so I'll take Gonzaga, and I'll probably give the five points. I would take Gonzaga, too, and depending on what the line is, uh, I would probably give the points as well. I really think that Melson and Perkins are kind of a good matchup for Blewett. I think they're going to get in his head a little bit and maybe try to match him athletically, which would be great. Uh, And I really think that uh, when push comes to shove in the second half, I think Xavier will get into some foul trouble with the Gonzaga bigs. And I think their post-to-post passing is really going to show. And that's going to be one of the highlights and one of the reasons why Gonzaga pulls away from Xavier. But uh, look, totally looking forward to that game on Saturday. Mike, how about Oregon and Kansas? I don't think it's going to get much better than this besides the next game that we'll mention. But if you're talking Oregon and Kansas to go to the Final Four, what a matchup, man. I'm going to stick with my original Gonzaga th- uh, I mean my original thought with Kansas. They have not had a situation where they've been tested yet. Very few teams Gus go through the entire NCAA tournament and don't get tested, okay? I think it's coming here. They have no inside game. They have guards that again cannot play defense because they can't afford to get in foul trouble. They don't have a matchup for Brooks. They're going to try Jackson, but that means Jackson's not going to be rebounding as much inside if he's outside guarding Brooks coming off those screens. Sure. And I like the Dorsey matchup against Graham, Mason. I don't know about this one. I th- Listen, I understand we like the storyline. Frank Mason is the best player on the floor at all times. Graham's been hot. They're overcoming adversity. We've seen this narrative before. We saw them in the Elite Eight against VCU, gag it. We saw them in the Elite Eight, and they all played in Kansas City. All these games were close to home. Maybe not Kansas City, Gus, but they were somewhere in there. We saw them lose to Michigan and blow a big lead in the Elite Eight. We've seen Ali Farouk Manesh in a game that was played close to home. I'm going to go with Oregon here. I understand that they looked like rock stars in that game, but folks... Everyone's been tested. Everyone's had some issues here along the way. UNC was in trouble against Arkansas. Is Kansas good enough as a donut with no one in the middle and no one coming off the bench to blow out Oregon? I don't know about that. Would I take would I take Oregon to win the game? You put my life on the line, probably not, but whatever the spread is, Gus, I'm gonna take the points. Okay. I, I, I like your rationale there. I think the spread is gonna be pretty close. If I had to lean one way or the other, like, you know, after just watching these games happen, I would probably lean Oregon's way. 
And I think the difference is going to be the better big inside. I think Bell is the better, stronger, more skilled big on the inside. And I think he can make that big of a difference against Lucas and whoever else they're going to put in the middle. Good call. I think I think they can match on the perimeter with Dorsey and Bell and Pritchard. And I think that Bell might actually be the difference maker here. And I would lean towards Oregon. Good call. I like that call right there. Very good. Uh, and, I mean, if we're talking good call, I cannot wait to watch the Kentucky-UNC rematch. What a game. We were, we were so excited to watch this UCLA-Kentucky rematch, and it totally lived up to the hype. It was a great game. You wish it was like just a smidge closer coming down the stretch, but it did have its drama. Fox played out of his mind. Monk definitely went bananas in the second half. Like, what is going to happen in this game? I'm so looking forward to to, to Fox and, and, and Joel Berry uh, Joel matching up again. Uh, you got to love the Monk and Jackson matchup. Uh, who are they going to put Briscoe on? Are, are the UNC bigs going to get Bam in foul trouble? There's a lot of storylines here. Mike, what, what are you feeling? What are you seeing? What, what do you feel like right right out of the gate with this matchup? You know, I laugh because the people on Twitter say I always have a definitive opinion and I always have something sort of abrasive, if you will. Folks, I don't have a damn clue what's going to happen in this game. And I'm really excited to say I don't have a clue. I am not sitting here with a lean. I can't tell you. What happened tonight with those Kentucky guards was so good, they could do it again. I, I, don't, I will tell you this. If Kentucky's going to win the game, they can't go away from Bam that much in this game. They've got to get something out of Bam. I don't see Jackson and Nate Britt and Berry getting eaten up by Fox and Monk the way UCLA was. They're going to play some defense, okay? Yeah. So I think Bam's got to give them something inside. But who would go against Kentucky after a game like tonight? I have no opinion on who's going to win this game. I'm not making a prediction. I'm going to enjoy a wonderful game of Balancesto. That is what I'm going to do when I watch this game. And I'm going to love every. I don't know who's going to win. I could care less. I'm going to see a great game, Gus. We're going to see a great one. And let's see what happens. It could be Kentucky. It could be UNC. Let's, let's get it on. That's it. You know what? You know who wins here? We do. We win. you damn right. We, we, we win. win. The, the, the viewers win, the listeners win, the fans win, uh, both programs win, like fans of both programs win. I just hope it's a great game. I hope it's a, you know, a one possession or two possession game with two minutes to play. How about that? That's what I'm rooting for. And if I was going to lean one way or the other since you didn't go definitive, I'm going to lean a little bit towards UNC. If right. Joel Berry's ankle is, he- is healthy, I'm going to lean a little bit their way, and I'm going to go because they have more bigs inside and Kentucky only has Bam. I think the, the, just the amount of bigs that they could run at Bam with Hicks, Meeks, Bradley, and even May at this point, I think that's a difference. I think they have some fouls to burn. So give me UNC, but just a very slight lean, very slight lean. And, and, uh, and Gus, while we're sitting here, I mean, we're, we're going to keep yeah. going until this game is over. Right now, Wisconsin's up to 37 seconds left. Something we can get into, Gus, here for the people that came up on Twitter tonight, and I was off on a diatribe on this one. Okay. Jonathan Isaac declared for the NBA draft. Okay, I have, I have an opinion. Okay, and, and here is my issue. Everybody who declares for the NBA draft more than likely is really good and really athletic and you know he's a 7 footer he could, or can dribble or he's a he's a John Henson or he's somebody like that. Here's my problem, Gus. I don't think Jonathan Isaac is coming into the NBA in the next 2 years and averaging 10 points and 7 rebounds. 
He is a guy who has been up and down this year. He's had two-point games and six-point games. I'm sorry. If you're seven feet tall and you're an athletic freak, you're not having two points and six-point games against Notre Dame, who has nobody in the middle. It's just not happening. I don't know about his work ethic, Gus. I have no idea. I don't know if he's a guy who's going to be okay sitting on the bench because probably more than likely he's dominated every level of basketball that he's played at, right? So I have no idea what he's going to be like. I've just seen time and time again these players go to the NBA. They want to get paid. They want to get paid right now, okay? And they're going to sit on the bench for three years during that first contract and score three points and two rebounds. Then, in order for them to get the next contract, they got to show something. And I don't know if Jonathan Isaac can do it. Maybe he can. And if he can, God bless him. But why not come back, us and be a first-team All-American? I just don't get it. So, okay. I, I, I understand your argument. I see where you're coming from. You've been very... Uh, you've been very consistent with the stance. You've been very consistent with this. You haven't really budged off of it, which I admire. However, I think there's two elements to this problem, like the way that you see it as a problem. I don't really see it as a problem. I see it as like just a situation and like people make decisions in situations and Jonathan Isaac is making decisions, but also there's another part of the decision-making here. The other part of the decision-making is the NBA executives who are deciding to draft these people. The fact that you're saying like there's been so many of these players that sit on the bench and don't get better and then are done after this many, this many years and are out of the league. Like who made the bad decision? Was it the player or was it the executive that drafted that player and did not get any benefits from drafting that player? So I think it's like more than just a player making a decision problem. I also think it might be a little bit of an NBA executive decision-making problem. <laughs> yeah, but, but Gus, the problem is if you're an NBA exec, you have 12 players on your team. You sure. only have two draft picks, more than likely. Sometimes you have mm-hmm. one, but first and second round. Like your job is to take a flyer on an athletic freak. That's your job. And if the guy stinks, oh well, now you have 11 players on your team. This kid's life, though, could be ruined. By declaring for the draft, getting a contract, not performing to his level, having to go to the developmental league or play in Belgium or play in Italy somewhere. And I don't know if a 20, 21-year-old kid going to Europe and playing bad, I don't know if he's ready for that. Listen, if Jonathan Isaac goes to the NBA, I am trying to get Jonathan Isaac to the most likely path that he has a 12-year career in the NBA. So I will admit that that is my my goal here. It may not be Jonathan Isaac's goal, but that's my goal is to get him a longitudinal 12-year experience where he can get money for his family for life. And I've if, seen- he, if, he has, if he has a 12-year NBA career, then that means he gets his rookie contract and then two other pretty big contracts. Yes, and that's my point. And what, Gus, is the best way for him to get a second and third contract? To have a good first contract, right? right. I, wouldn't that be it? I, I mean, there's, Gus, you know this. There's a million NBA guys out there who are 6'10", who can dribble, okay? Or 6'5", and can jump through the gym. Some of them blossom late. But those guys sometimes have to bounce around and go back and forth and come in and out. And listen, man, we've seen a million of these guys. And I just uh, – listen, I hope this guy turns into Dirk Nowitzki. But from what I saw, he's a raw, athletic guy. And I don't know if I – mean, there's a lot of raw athletic guys in the NBA. We'll see. But I, you know, I got an argument on Twitter. That's what I mean. I want to see all these kids have long-term careers in the NBA. That's what I want. 
So I, I don't fault Jonathan Isaac for coming out early at all. I think he's one. I think if we go and look, you know, forecast much like we forecast with Jason Tatum, I think he goes somewhere in the top ten in the NBA draft. I don't think there's any doubt about that at all. And I think that if you're going to be a top ten draft pick, why not go? So I, I have no fault in him leaving at all. I ha- I do see like the arguments on the other guys that we brought up. Um, and we don't mean to like totally pick on uh, LJ Peak all the time, but it seemed like he's not going to be a top ten pick. So you question his decision making, um, even with his coach leaving. Maybe you look for a transfer rule or something of that nature. Um, but if you're going to be a top ten pick, why not go for it? Why not just go ahead? Why not go ahead and get that you know rookie money? And if you're going to be a top ten pick, then you might be going to a team where you might actually play. Gus, so I'm, I'm okay with that. Gus, if Jonathan Isaac is a top ten pick, then he made the right decision. That's all yeah, there I is think, to I it. I think he's going to be a top ten pick, so I, I think he made the right decision. I don't think an eight point per game guy. I, I just I, what moves does he have? I mean, does he have a? Does he is he like a clear out guy in the post that I missed? Does he bang threes on a regular basis? I, yeah, he can he can shoot it. He can shoot. I I, I I don't see it. I, I just don't see it. I see Jonathan Isaac being a fifteen to twenty player. And I just feel if he's as good as you and everybody thinks he is, why wouldn't he come back and become a first-team All-American? Somebody said on Twitter today, what about the career-ending injury that's going to happen? Those don't happen that much, guys. Harry Giles has had seven knee surgeries, okay? And Gus is telling you last time that he could come out and be drafted. So besides Jay Burson, which was a horrific situation that you and I remember from, the, I think it was the early 90s or late 80s, whenever it was, with a neck injury that was a terrible situation, those injuries really don't happen. So I I just don't think that's valid because you could also hurt your ankle in the developmental league, right? I mean, I don't know. Um, Anyway, Gus, we got to talk about this right now. (laughs) I guess Nigel Hayes makes two free throws, okay? And is that Chioza that just made that shot? I think that was Chioza, yeah. Chris Chioza comes down the court, folks. This is live. This is podcasting live right now and lets a floater, right, Gus? I mean, was that basically a three-point floater from the top of the key? One foot, one-handed. Boy, I'm going to be up late writing that article for BT Powerhouse tonight. Friday night thoughts. Boy, that's going to be a lot. That's <laughs> going to take a while. Anyway, so guys, uh, really quick, and then we'll go. So yeah. we got Florida. We got uh, Florida now going against South Carolina in the East. What do you got, my friend? Listen, who would have thought we would see an SEC showdown to go to the Final Four? Isn't that kind of crazy? So there's a, like they're guaranteed to have one team in the final four. That's out of control, and everyone was like kind of hating on them and banging on them and saying like, "Oh, the SEC is really terrible," except for Kentucky, and like they could have two teams in the final four if Kentucky beats UNC. That's absolutely insane. Which way am I leaning in this game? You know what? I, I, I kind of am on the Florida bandwagon. I, I like their metrics. I like their makeup. I like their roster. I like Hill on the defensive end. Uh, Allen went off tonight for over thirty. Uh, Chioza is a little N1 mixtape. Uh, Robinson's playing a little bit out of his head. I- I'm going to lean towards Florida here, and I'm going to take Florida with more better players, even though Sundarius Thornwell is going to be the best player on the floor. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I'm exhausted right now. <laughs> I, 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 I guess Mike White's done a great job. I, three SEC teams in the Final Four. Let's go back to our interview with Eric Fawcett. And so tell him, what are we going to tell him that? Three, three SEC teams in the, uh, in, in the Elite he, Eight, rather. In the Elite away. Eight. Even no way. Great job by Mike White. Excellent job. I still go back to that interview we had in the Duke game when he said, we're getting killed right now. Just real honest, you know, honest, straight up things. I love it. Great job for them. I don't know. I'll flip a coin. I'll say Florida. I have no idea. But wow, I'm exhausted. That's it for yeah. me. Oh, a, I mean, if you're, if you're going to end the, the, you know, the, the Sweet 16 like that to get to the Elite Eight, that's the way to end it in Madison Square Garden. 
Like, what else do you want as far as a dramatic ending? That's absolutely insane, amazing. Congratulations to the Gators. Congratulations to the Badgers, too. I mean, they, they, they got the game to overtime after being down 10 uh, with about two and a half to play. So they fought all the way back to get it to overtime. And then Hayes makes two big free throws with four seconds left. And then Chioza on kind of a broken play, like you said, throws up like this three-point floater. Bang, it goes home. Time expires. Gators move on. Wow. Hey, listeners, thank you out there. Thank you for tuning us in over the weekend. We hope you get, re- we hope we, we get you ready for those Elite Eight matchups um, to go to the Final Four. And uh, thank you so much for tuning us in all week and for tuning us in all season. Thank you for sticking with Screen the Screener podcast, guys. We really appreciate the listen. We, we enjoy interacting uh, via email and, and Twitter. So, uh, you know, keep the comments coming. And uh, thank you to Belljar for bringing us in and out. If you guys want to hear a little bit more from them, obviously hit them up on uh, iTunes or CD Baby. And, uh, you know, big thanks out to uh, Block Talk Radio for giving us a hand with everything, too. It was really awesome uh, joining forces with them, and it's been a real pleasure uh, making the move over with them so that they've made it really smooth on uh, on there. And so thank you to the, the crew over there. The crew over there has been absolutely helpful and absolutely amazing. You get a chance, Gus. Take a look at Mike White's reaction when that shot went in. That's classic. <laughs> She's got to see it. It's better than Jay Wright's, but it, it, it's it's very calm. Very, little little fist pump, little little side fist pump. Okay, he just made a shot to take us into the uh, into the Elite Eight. That's great. Uh, folks, thank you. We're live. We're here. Screen the screener. We're coming at you. You never know when we'll come next, folks. We got something to say. We're going to come on. Thanks so much. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>